Welcome to XR Star. I am your host, futurist Amelia Coleman. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today, we are looking at XR and the latest trends because there are so many exciting things happening right now in the world of headsets and hardware and the XR ecosystem. My special guest today is someone who I truly admire and is on the cutting edge of what's hot and what's not. And I cannot wait to geek out with him and um, grill him about all the latest innovations and his predictions for the future. But before I introduce him, I think it's worth noting that last year wasn't actually that bad for the XR industry. In fact, it's actually been pretty good. Over the last year, we've seen an uptake in XR adoption in both consumer and enterprise sectors. Sales and VR headsets have gone up. More brands are investing in XR commerce, which is what I call the future of e-commerce, which we're actually going to do a whole episode on in the next podcast episode. So stay tuned for that. Retailers are using web AR and web XR to engage with audiences digitally. And of course, we've also seen a rise in adoption for training and event applications. So much so that this year, the global XR market is expected to be worth 31 billion USDs. Some project that this could rise to close to 300 billion in 2024. While we tend to talk a lot about VR headsets, AR headsets, also sometimes called MR, mixed reality headsets, especially by Microsoft, look like they are gearing up to have a big moment. You may have read in the news recently that Microsoft have signed a $22 billion contract with the US Army to move forward with the production of their Integrated Visual Augmentation System, or IVAS, which is based on HoloLens 2 technology. Designed for both training and battlefield use, the IVAS will have a wider field of view, 80 degrees by 40 degrees, and feature additional sensors. When I worked with the HoloLens 2, I found it extremely heavy. And when I take it off, I had this huge dent across my forehead for literally the rest of the day, which I did not appreciate. And while the HoloLens 2 has a greater field of vision than the HoloLens 1, an 80 degree by 40 degree field of vision would make a significant difference. So I personally hope that this might be an indicator that a lighter, sleeker HoloLens 3 might perhaps be in the works, but we'll see. Meanwhile, Snapchat has announced their Spectacles 3 glasses, which will include AR displays and use a smartphone as the processor, which is similar to how we can imagine Apple's forthcoming AR glasses are going to work. There's still no definitive news on when these are coming out, but we keep hearing a couple months, um, but we've been hearing that for about two years. So we're just gonna have to wait and see, and I'll definitely keep you posted. Also competing in the AR headset space are companies like Vuzix, Magic Leap, Enreal, Epson, and more. In VR, we have Facebook, HTC, Sony, Samsung, Pika, Varjo, HP, Valve, and then additional firms like LG and Qualcomm leading in XR patent filings. And besides all the big names, we still have startups and potential disruptors coming out of left field. But is it even possible for startups to compete amongst these big names with deep pockets? With this market and industry continuing to grow, there is quite a bit to keep track of. 
Luckily for us, there is Tony Vitillo, co-founder and XR developer at New Technology Walkers and founder of The Ghost Howls, a VR AR website and newsletter that I go to when I want to find out the latest XR news. He always brings a smile to my face, and I am so excited to welcome him to XR Star. Hi, Tony. Hello, Amelia. Hello, everyone. Thanks for inviting me to this great podcast. I am so thrilled to be talking to you. Um, I've been following you for ages, and I love what you do. So it's a real privilege to have you here. And, um, and to our listeners, I definitely recommend checking out his blog, The Host Howls, and sign up to the newsletter. We get really exciting inbox notes um, that, that are very cool. So actually, would you mind starting off by telling us a bit about yourself and your background, how you got into this industry, and maybe what you do at New Technology Walkers and the Ghost House? Yeah, for sure. First of all, thanks for the very kind words about what I do. So um, I, I started, you know, I'm a tech. I started as a computer science engineer at the Polytechnic of Turin. So I come from a very technological background, but always been interested, you know, in multimedia because I also choose the specialization in multimedia and software application. And fast forward some years after my degree with a previous university classmate of mine, I, um, we decided to investigate uh, new technologies that uh, were coming up in this period. It was 2014. 2014. And I remember I was already studying for you know, computer vision stuff and these things that I didn't know that were called augmented reality. It was just still computer vision magic. And we decided to play around with the Google Glasses. You know, that the Google Glasses in 2014, 2015 were like the future. There was these amazing videos on YouTube. So we just made some super complicated you know, trafficking stuff to buy them for $1,500 because they were not available in Italy. So we had to buy them from the United States, but there was not an official channel. So we had to make some complicated things. They arrived, I was super excited. I tried them and they were a disaster. So it was really a terrible technology because the idea was good, but the technology was not ready. So the battery, last like half an hour, they overheated, the display was super little. So super big disappointment for us. But my buddy, uh, his name is Johnny, had an idea like, okay, this probably is not ready. Let's try another thing that I, I received some days ago at home. It's called the Oculus Rift. I was like, what it is? I have no idea. Um, it was like the second development kit of the virtual reality headset Oculus Rift. It made me try it and I had like a wow moment. So everyone has a wow moment for AR and VR. That was mine. As I was in the office, I put this headset, I see myself in a beeline to Toscany. I was like, wow, I'm in another place. So it was super crappy compared to the VR of today. But for me, it was magic. I said, okay, I want to do this in my life. But this should be my future. And after some moments, I had to remove the headset because I had terrible nausea, but I insisted to use it. So I don't want to make you bored with my story of seven years in AR and VR. So just keeping it short, what I've done in these seven years has been basically develop, um, developing stuff. So I created 
software for, for parties, like, you know, training, maintenance, entertainment, whatever people can ask me to develop. Since I'm a developer, I can create software application for other people. But we also, I also created with my team a new technology workers that is my new adventure because the, the first one didn't end well. Um, some software for, of, of ours. So we made a game called Hit Motion Reloaded, a fitness game in mixed reality. It was one of the 20 launch titles of the Vive Focus Plus. I launched it on a, on a stage in Shenzhen, China. It was super cool for me. An Italian guy in an indie team going to China to launch a game. It was super emotional, really. Everyone was looking at me in a weird way, but <laughs> in the stage, I don't know if they understood my English, but I didn't care. I was super happy about it. And apart from developing things, um, I also like to talk about this technology. Like you, Amelia, I have a blog since five years, four years and a half. And there I talk about news, reviews, tutorials, interviews. It started a bit like an experiment to promote my job as a VR startupper, and then it became a product of its own. And it's always great to speak about these technologies. And what I love the most about the blog is connecting with other people because you, you get to know the amazing people in the XR community, people that are a lot more intelligent than me, that teaches me a lot of things. And, this is amazing. And last but not the least, to finish this long journey, two years ago, I started working with virtual events together with a French company called Vroom. Um, it started, you know, okay, let's experiment with it. And then the coronavirus arrived. And so there could be no physical events anymore. So the things exploded completely. And uh, we did like the Venice VR expanded. We did the South by Southwest some weeks ago with this, cool events like a New Year's Eve party in a virtual Notre Dame. It has been incredible. So it's a new trend that lots of people are following. And I'm very happy to follow it because it's very artistical things. And I like to be contaminated by creative people, not only by technical people like me. So this is me. Sorry, I hope I have not made everyone bored about with this story, but I want to tell you everyone that VR is very exciting in this moment, so you should join me. Very cool. One thing I really love about your blog is you do bring your personality to it. There's a sense of humor about it. Like I loved your latest um, experiment with, um, with was it um, the, the store where you created the cubes thing? Yes. <laughs> Just for yeah. our listeners, tell them what you did. Yeah, you know, I'm a bit a troll sometimes. So I was, there was this thing, now Oculus has a bit, uh, I created like a separate store from the official one called App Lab, promising that it should be a more open store. So as soon as the, this new store came out, I decided to make a tutorial to inform the community of how is this process. But of course, to, to, to teach people how it is, I should submit something. And so I, I thought what I could submit. And then I remember, okay, what is the, the first thing that I did as a developer? Uh, a cube, of course, every one of us has started with a cube. So I said, what, what can I do? I said, why, why don't try submitting the cube? So it's, it could be funny. At the same time, it could be also a way to understand if really Facebook has created a new free, a new completely open way of distributing application. So I submitted a, an application with just a cube. To, to this app lab. And it's amazing because 
Uh, I've learned a lot in the process, so I could really uh, teach the community with AppLab. But in the end, the application was published. And I published the news about this uh, with a review about me joking with the cube. And it was funny. And even a journal, a very serious magazine, like Road to VR, published the news about the cube being published on AppLab. That, that's insane. I've spent years trying to see an application of my published on Road to VR. And the, the, the only thing I needed was that publishing a cube. And then I know that some friends close to me that are very creative now and got crazy. They say, oh, this is hard. So they started creating like cubes with every kind of fashion, the cube of Trump, the cube of Kill Bill. Everyone is starting getting creative. It's a simple thing that uh, it's good that it's a bit exploded. And it's not only, it's very funny, I think, because yeah. it's, it's like a joke, but it's, it's also being useful in the end. It's stimulating people to think about freedom, creativity, and I'm very happy about it. Yeah, no, it was great. I love that. Um, so yeah, so you've been in it since the beginning, you know, since Oculus Rift got kickstarted and that whole thing. And what we've seen with headsets is this incredible development that's happened in such a relatively short period of time. Uh, you know, improved resolution, lower pixelation from design of the actual headsets to head and gesture tracking. In your opinion, what do you think the best new development innovation trend that we're seeing in VR right now? What, what is that to you? And what do you think that indicates about the future? Well, uh, I would love to talk about what we've seen about what can happen in five years, in 10 years, whatever. But let's, let's keep things realistic, as you say, what is happening now that is interesting. I'm noticing, especially, I think, two factors I want to highlight. The first one is the experimentation in making headsets smaller. So, but not just reducing them a bit, like the, the Quest 2. The Quest 2 is, is smaller than the Rift City one, but it's still a box. I'm talking about, you know, this use of what is called pancake lenses. This is an optics technology, uh, micro display, and this kind of new, uh, like optics and display technologies to create headsets that are like glasses. Um, probably, uh, People that are listening to this podcast, and for sure you, Amelia, have seen the glasses by Panasonic, by Huawei, by Parial, and they are like, like bulky sunglasses. I mean, they, you connect them to the phone and you can have VR. And now Huawei is also working on a six degree of freedom version of them. So you can move with them on, you can play with the controllers. I have a friend in Hangzhou that already has a dev kit, for instance, and that's, incredibly interesting because, um, you know, I will never wear a VR headset in the street, uh, even on the bus, I will look like an idiot. So let's be honest, I love VR, but it's not something you can wear outside. But with those, they are like sunglasses, you know, I can wear a bulky sunglasses on the airplane or on the bus, whatever, to watch a VR movie, to play simple games. Uh, I think that's an incredible innovation. And I would like to see this to go further because it's an advance in economics. We don't want VR headset to look like techy uh, headsets. We want them to be like something that you can wear. And that's, this is a great step in that sense. The second thing that I want to highlight and that you already highlighted in the introduction is the, the merging of AR and VR technologies. So uh, finally, 
uh, we all think that in the future there will be only one glass to have both. But until some years ago, it was just, okay, we think this. Now is it is happening. So for instance, the Quest 2 uh, already has pastoral vision to, to watch your surroundings. The hit motion game that I talked in the, in the first, uh, in my introduction, was made for the Byte Focus Plus and was a game in mixed reality. It was not a VR game. We created the plugin and put it open source for the community so that on a VR headset, you could, over, you could have augmented reality. So you could punch stuff because it was a boxing game without putting a risk your health or the people around you. You don't want to, to punch uh, your mom when she comes near to you and you're playing a boxing game, of course. And uh, so, and now there is this vision is, is becoming more frequent. So HTC had teased, for instance, uh, a faceplate for the Vive Cosmos to become uh, to make it become augmented reality. The Vario as a AR VR version, a mixer headset. Uh, Link R1 that is coming somewhere in this year. We don't know exactly when. Is a pastel AR headset. So what's it, sorry? What's that one called again? The Lynx R1. It's a French, okay. uh, like bulky glasses again, and it's mainly past augmented reality. It's a very innovative lenses inside. Everyone should also look at it. It has some interesting design decisions. And I think it's a trend that will continue. We'll always see more the merge of AR and VR. And so that's great because I think they're like cruising technologies and it's good if you can have just one device and have both. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's interesting because I always imagined it would be something like you would like turn a turn a dial on a channel and be able to go from one to another. Um, and I think it's also, um, I'm going to actually jump forward a little bit, but when it comes to, to AR and MR headsets, do you think that that's the same audience that VR is looking at? Or do you think it's a different audience? Um, what's your thoughts on that? That's a very nice question. I think that in the in the end, more or less, will be the same audience. I mean, the, everyone, because it's like a bit like someone may, likes to make the example that VR is the next PC and AR is the next smartphone. So uh, everyone uses both PCs and smartphones just for different uses. So it probably in the beginning there will be like uh, differences in the target market because of the application because of the limits of the technologies. In the end, I think it will depend on what you want to do. So if I want to say, hey, Amelia, let's let's go a bit, I don't know, to, to Taiwan together and have fun. We can use a VR mode because we won't completely isolate ourselves from where we are and we go to virtual travel. It would be amazing. But if I don't know, I want to, uh, have help while I'm cooking some, some food, a uh, recipe that I never tried before. I would like to have AR so that I can see what I'm cooking. At the same time, I can want to see the instructions. So I think that in the end, it will depend on the use cases. Everyone says AR will be bigger. And the reason is that most of the time we want to see <laughs> where we are and what we are doing. We don't want to cross the street while seeing ourselves in another place, probably. Um, but it's also funny, something that I've highlighted in a very old post of mine, that 
I want to highlight is that, okay, probably AR will be bigger in the beginning, but what about if the future, like 50 years, 10, 100 years, we have like the matrix and we will live completely in another world and VR, we will win. So it's funny that this is like, people like to see this competition, but actually it's just the use case and possibilities, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it will depend on the application. For now, yes, I think in the beginning it will be different. AR will be for who wants to have some notifications around. VR mostly at the beginning for who wants to play or for industrial applications. But in the end, I like to see them used by everyone. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because like people use AR every day, every time you put a filter on your photo or, you know, do something like that or do maps and different things. And um, I think that's like a really good stepping stone. And I actually think that the rise of AR glasses and, uh, and people using AR technology more is going to lead to more people like a stepping stone for more people to get into VR as well, because it's um it's it's kind of like a gateway drug. <laughs> yes. I completely agree with you. Yeah, the more there is interest for these technologies, the more people will be attracted, the more people will discover them, and that will be healthy for the whole ecosystem. Yes. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite headset? What do you recommend to people when they're looking at? What when they ask you, what should I buy? What should I go for? Well, it's hard to say, you know, uh, a favorite headset in the sense that I love them all. I, <laughs> <laughs> as a technologist, you know, every every new headset is like something I want to try. It's a bit my baby. Um, I have to say that if I have to advise uh, someone what to buy at the moment, if this person is, you know, an average consumer or just a developer that wants to experiment, I won't be very original. I would advise to buy the Oculus Quest 2 because it costs $300. You can connect it to a PC, it can be standalone. You can connect it even, you know, to some cloud services. It's very experimental, but some companies are already working on it. So you can have everything for $300 and great content. I think it's unbeatable value for cost at the moment. But, you know, I like also to talk about the others because otherwise there is a bit of monopoly. So it's always better also to talk about others. So if you are like a, are a gamer that likes to play a lot on PC, the Valve Index is pretty expensive, but it uh, offers a great experience, I think, to everyone that wants to use it. I've tried it and it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, the, um, uh, you know, in the standalone market, there is Pico that is playing very well, is growing very well. And now on the 10th of May, the, the CEO is going to announce this consumer launch in China of the Pico Neo 3 that is seen in China as a consumer headset. So not an enterprise headset anymore. So Pico is a company to keep an eye on. And personally, you know, I'm, I have a long love story with the Vive Focus Plus because uh, I've had these adventures with it deep by, you know, uh, making our games on it together with a company like HTC and launching it. So my heart is, is there because of what I've done, I've done with it. But if I had to advise uh, people to buy it, I think that at the moment it's pretty dated. In fact, HTC has to launch something uh, this year, a new headset. So keep an eye on Oculus Quest 2. If you are in doubt, this is the headset to buy at the moment. 
Well, one thing about the Oculus too is that it requires this Facebook login, which I know has got a lot of criticism and backlash. And, um, and I mean, like personally, I don't use Facebook. I do use Instagram, which I'm like slowly divorcing myself from, but, um, but I just, I find it annoying (laughs) that I have to have a Facebook login to get onto the quest. But so what do you think the current relationship is between Facebook and the XR community? Um, do you, I mean, it is the most popular headset, you know, but people, same people who use it hate Facebook, um, not necessarily, but, um, you know, and then there's also what do you, do you think the future holds for Facebook? We're thinking about Facebook getting into the AR glasses now and things. What's your take on that? Well, uh, regarding the first question, I think that apart from, you know, the haters and the lovers of Facebook, I think that I can consider myself in the middle and the community more or less is like me has like a whole love and hate relationship with Oculus and Facebook. Uh, because on the one side, they, technologically speaking, they're doing great because they're creating great technologies. The tracking of the quest is amazing. They're working on the future interactions with wristbands, mind control, you know, they're experimenting with cool stuff. They create products that are very ergonomic. They're continuously updated because they have plenty of money. So of course they can afford doing all this stuff. So on one side, it's great. As many people say, without Facebook, we wouldn't be at this point in VR because Uh, As a consultant, I can speak about what has happened to me Uh, after 2016. So in 2017, there was like all this VR is dead hype. Like everyone saying we should abandon VR, blah, blah, blah. And it was very a big problem for me as a consultant because uh, almost no one was asking anymore, wanting anymore to pay for a VR application. So that was a big problem. Then the quest arrived. Uh, it was able to create hype again, uh, a market. So we should be thankful to Facebook for that. But on the other side, uh, the problem is that I honestly speaking, I don't trust Facebook. So um, I I always hoping to see that they will change. I'm not saying I hate Facebook because it's Facebook, but at the moment, they have not a great history in handling the privacy of the users. They're pretty invasive. Also, their target of many hackers, you know, that has been a leak some days ago about lots of uh, phone numbers, data of what was 500 million users or something like that. I don't remember the exact number. And so shady practices, you know, then all the debates about the freedom of speech, what to publish, what not to publish. It's not easy to be Facebook, but I think that they could do better in handling the privacy. And it's also the problem is that is in their DNA because they are a marketing company. They are great in what they do because all marketers will say that Facebook is one of the best tools to do their, your campaigns. And this is because they get from you all the data that you, that they can. Uh, so it's difficult for them to change. And so this is more or less what people think. So on one side, it's good. On the other side, the community doesn't trust them. And so I think that Facebook knows it. And that's why it is also proposing devices to which you can't say no. So basically, they have created the best headset with the most ridiculous price ever because they're selling under cost. Everyone, all other companies that are doing hardware can't confirm that to you. It's impossible to sell at 300 and make a profit to survive. So 
um, it's so it's uh, it's difficult because they you know they 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 are putting the bar so high that others can't arrive. So you have to choose, or you buy an inferior device, or you buy a much more expensive device, or you have to create to, to do your Facebook account and log in with it. And as a professional, I can't avoid having a quest because I will have uh, no market. So, you know, the, the customer, the, my customers want uh, applications for the quest. So I have to have a Facebook login, et cetera, et cetera. That's why I'm saying, yeah, this is the strategy at the moment. Create something so so good that people can say no. So to arrive in the end at 1 billion in people in BR, that's the dream of Mark Zuckerberg. And they will do everything to arrive there. And I don't think, I think that regarding the, the question if they are listening to, to the community or not, in part, yes. And App Lab is uh, being released because people wanted a more open ecosystem. Uh, some, in other, some other situations, some things have been fixed or modified because of what the community asked. I remember a time when we made, a, I and a friend of mine uh, in Anjo made a meme about Asgard's frat that was free only for new Quest users and not for the already the people that already bought the Quest 2. And we made a meme and the, the meme got super popular. And some days after, Oculus changed what they said for Asgard's part. We memed Facebook to change its decision. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's a very funny story. But in the end, um, they don't listen to the community for the Facebook login. It's too important for them because they have to gather the data also from the VR users to continue the marketing business. So this won't change and this is a big problem for all of us. And uh, personally, I hope for a competitor to arrive, but just also because uh, it, this way, Facebook also can improve, can listen more to what people want. This, it, this is what happened with the uh, Rift TV one. So the vibe was much better, had a much better ecosystem. So Oculus had to react. And this reaction made Facebook to, to gain, to make better products. And we, now we need the opposite. We need someone else that creates a better product that makes Facebook to, to change again, uh, yeah. to, to do something better. I totally agree. I think we owe a lot to Facebook um, when it comes to VR and the VR community, obviously. Um, and. And I know that they are planning, they have a roadmap up to, you know, 10 years ahead at the least. And they're looking at what's coming out every three years, every seven years, et cetera. And, um, and I think it will be interesting to see where they go. But it also makes me wonder if there's room for startups and disruptors, like when the Oculus came out, that was such a disruptor. And um, before Facebook bought them, and I have uh, friends who have a startup here in London that got bought by Facebook for 40 million. And, you know, can can startups still exist or is their best hope to get bought up by Facebook? Well, that's another good question. And when we talk about it in the communities, my opinion is that startups may exist, but, uh, you know, not if they aim at the, the big dream. So let me explain it. So if I create a startup about, you know, a product of in AR and VR, you know, like it has been Beat Saber or uh, Boneworks talking about games, you can go out, propose your product, get lots of money, 
become rich or talking about not gaming, we can talk about spatial, rec room. Rec room has just become a first VR unicorn. That's, that's amazing. They're not being bought by Facebook or, or HTC or whatever other companies. So yes, there is room for startups, but I don't think there is room if they want to compete on the hard tech side. So a startup that wants to come to a market and become better than the Quest, Either they have really a super disruptive technology that changes completely the paradigm, and this is the only possibility they have. Otherwise, the big company has so much money, uh, so much expertise, especially in artificial intelligence and all this stuff, that I think it's almost impossible. Let's think about Magic Leap. So Magic Leap, people said, hey, it's uh, two billion. Two billion is a lot of money, two billion. Actually, uh, someone told me once that a whole, maybe Microsoft, so it's not an official value, it's something that has been told to me, for the first HoloLens to create is spent like seven <laughs> billion to arrive to the first device. So like two billion, actually, is not that big money to compete with these enormous companies. And in fact, when I spoke with Robert Scoble, the, you know, the technologist, he said, Unless Magic Leap got 10 billion, it had no chance against Microsoft, Apple, and Facebook. After 10 billions, maybe you have a chance. What I can say is um, they are so big that even if you go ahead of them, they can buy other companies and crush you completely. So the best option, if you are on the road, is try to get acquired. This is my opinion. Of course, sometimes you, you can survive if you start early enough. We can think about Snap. Snap has started, then Instagram tried to crush it. And I can say that Instagram was able to compete very well with Snap. It has probably more users. Uh, it was a moment that Snap had a cap of users, was plateaued to, uh, it couldn't be able to grow because Instagram was uh, stealing all the, the, the possible clients. But in the end, Snap is still here. Now it's growing again. It's, uh, new, it proposes always new technologies. So it has, made, it has been able to survive. So let's see how it will go. But you have to be, I think, very, very lucky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, question for you. One of the things I love about VR is the kind of communities that gather within the spaces. And um, I wondered if you um, had maybe a favorite experience from being inside a, a, a space in VR or a, a, a community experience within VR. Oh, let me think about it. Yeah, I first of all I agree with you. I know it's it's an amazing space with great people around, and sometimes there are also events uh, that comes all around the, the space on different social VR spaces. This is pretty good. Uh, most of the time, I've been in events when I was invited or something like that because I, I have to say sometimes I'm too busy that. I, unless someone forces me to do something, I usually don't find the time to do this leisure stuff. But if I have to remember some, some great moments in, uh, in social VR spaces, I can think about um, one of the moments so that I, has remained in my mind was when I participated in the, in the launch of the XR suite, XR suite by HTC like one year ago, something like that. I don't remember the exact date. And um, not that the event was 
that that event was cool. I mean, it was one of the uh, first, probably it was the first major company to try to do a VR event to present a new product. So it was an interesting launch for that. But I remember it for another reason. So first of all, it was 3 a.m. in Italy. So it was like, <laughs> it was the, um, Alvin Wang Grelin, the president of ETC China, the team said, hey, won't you come to, do you want to come to this launch that we're having? I said, hey, why not? What is the time? It was like on 9 a.m. Beijing time, maybe. And in Italy it was 3 a.m. Um, it was during the pandemic. Uh, the first wave of the pandemic, when we were all very scared, the lockdown was uh, pretty hard. And I remember being there at 3 a.m. in my home, uh, with meeting finally with other people from all over the world. There was a moment there was me, a journalist was in the U.S., Another journalist was like in Hong Kong and I'm in Italy. Three people from the three opposite sides of the world together in virtual reality. And I remember hugging these people where I couldn't even touch people in real life. And I was there hugging physically with my controllers, these people that were like my virtual friends. And it was very emotional for me, I think. Uh, I can't even describe how I was happy. Maybe it may sound stupid to the people that listen to me, but it was like magical. It was like, humans again i can really feel a human in a virtual world more than in the real world it was great i love that i love that i think that's a great story um so one thing though that that actually brought to mind is other innovations like haptics and ai and brain computer interface and biosensors and all these other technologies that we can integrate within the vr ar experiences to make them uh, that much more lifelike. I always think about tricking the brain like that much more into believing it's having that kind of experience. Um, have you come across any really good examples of, of these technologies and how they're integrated within XR? Well, at the moment, they uh, are more or less all in the exper experimental stage. So it's more uh, something that you have to see in perspective, I think. Uh, if I had to say what is Something is already, you know, ready for the market. I can say the the behaptic suit is is already something that is quite affordable, like five hundred dollars or something like that. And you can wear it, and you can feel vibrations in your body. So if someone is shooting you, you can feel the vibration in that point. In VR chat, you can hug people, and you see their hands on your body with this suit. And so it's something for gaming or for have fun. And it's already, it's already good. For the rest, I can see it's lots of experimental stuff. We can stay here with me talking probably for hours in excitement about these amazing things. One of the presentations that I like to give the most in events is the five senses in VR. And I talk about experiments also with taste, virtual taste, with devices on your tongue to give you VR taste. There's amazing things that people are working on. But remaining to what you said, I think that uh, haptics, as I said, you can already have something useful. Also for there are gloves called uh, the science glove. There is now the new version coming this year that for industrial uses are already quite good in giving you the perception that you are touching something and if you have something in your hand in the virtual world, your real hands can't close past it because it's like the glove um, stops you 
for prevent you from trespassing the virtual elements. So it's difficult to explain this without making you try it. But anyways, give you a realistic sensation of grasping objects in your hand. Um, eye tracking, I think it's already it's already integrated in some headsets. It works pretty well. It's not perfect, but it's already usable for research experiments. Um, one of the things uh, to mention is one of my greatest passions is brain-computer interfaces. Um, what's interesting is that the devices that are at the moment on the market, let's be honest, are pretty rough. So you can do something, you can experiment, but very limited. Uh, but things are moving and moving faster than before. And for instance, OpenBCI should launch like a modified version of the Valby index probably next year with lots of sensors to detect your heart rate, your, uh, how your eyes are moving, uh, blah, 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 all these things. And you can understand not what you're thinking, but what is your state, you know, how do you feel, uh, react. So the application horror game, imagine when the game feels that you are maybe too scared it makes you relax a bit. And when you are relaxing too much, someone comes and makes you scared with a jump scare. So it will have lots of applications for gaming, but especially also for psychology, etc. So I have to say nothing that I think it's ready, but lots of things that are very, very interesting that are coming soon. So that's, yeah. that's great. I did a great virtual reality experience with that, that used UltraLeap, which is the, the ultrasonic um, super high speed sound waves that make you feel like you can touch things in midair. And I used to demo it to people and it used to scare people to death. We would have people freak out and, it, and it's just that extra element that you add in. It's amazing. And then um, I guess it's two years ago now at CES seeing um, a startup that was doing temperature inside virtual reality. So you could have a snowball thrown at your face and feel like ice was spreading across your face, or you could touch a fire and you could feel the heat as you got closer and stuff. I love that. Um, yeah, it sounds a bit I'm such a sucker. Sorry. Where are they Korean? Oh, I don't know. This company. Where, where are I, they? Uh, I I met a similar company, so I don't know if it is the same called like Thermoreal in the Gamescom in Germany. And I, I had the experience touching cubes, hot and cold. And it was cool, as you said, it's like yeah. magic. I forget what they're called. I can look it up for you because it was in one of my um, big reveals. Ten Tensin or something? Tensor maybe? I don't know. I'll have to look it up. I'll get back to you on that. Um, so before we kind of wrap things up, wanted to know what your kind of biggest hopes for XR is to achieve in the future. And if there's any fears that go along with that. Well, the hope is the one that we all share that this technology become widespread, that everyone starts using it, uh, the prices will go down, the technology will go, get better, more economic, the people will want to wear it so that we realize our dream that in five, 10 years, we all have, we have glasses in our faces and we live this amazing new future, new mixed reality future. So um, yeah, this is my, my dream, of course. So what I hope is continually to see this trend of growth to continue. So I've seen 
a growth in the last three years, and I want to see this continue to accelerate even more. The fears, the fears are mostly, you know, about uh, the the dystopian future that some people depict. And while I think that we shouldn't always think about the negative things uh, like someone does, but it is important to think about the possible negative outcomes or the privacy for people wearing glasses all day, so the propaganda or these kind of things that we, I think we should start thinking about them now so that to be ready when these technologies will be widespread. So these are my fears, but I want to hope that there will be more good things than bad things from this technology. Absolutely. Well, I think we're already seeing a lot of the possibilities, and I think we're just scratching the surface of where this is all going. Um, personally, I do think that there needs to be some talk right now about, you know, how you regulate this, this Wild West um, metaverse, you know, and if the dark web is starting to move into the metaverse, what does that mean? And what are the possible repercussions of that in the real world? This is, um, again, that's something I can talk about for ages. Um, but yeah, no, very interesting. And then finally, where can our listeners find you, follow you, subscribe to you? Where can they get in touch? Well, if you still want to hear from me, you can find, first of all, on my website, the ghost house, www.scarghost.com, S-K-A-R-R-E-D-G-H-O-S-T.com. Uh, with the same nickname, Ghost, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Reddit, I'm on YouTube, and instead on LinkedIn, I have a serious name, I'm Anthony Vitillo, because on LinkedIn, we must all pretend to be very serious people, so I have my <laughs> real name, and everywhere you can, whenever channel you will choose, feel free to contact me to chat about these technologies, because they're amazing, and it's good if we, as a community, talk all together, as I did today also with you, Amelia. Absolutely. No, it's been so great to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on today, Tony. And thank you all so much for listening and hope to see you again soon. Take care.